Is it working? It is. It's working. Yay. It should be. Praise the Lord. It's because you're here. <laughs> um, so, hey everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Lore Lodge. This is our brand new studio that's totally not set up yet. But as you can see, it's not a basement, so that's an upgrade. We're getting there. <laughs> Today, we are very pleased to be joined by Father Peter Poprosky. Did I get that right? You got it perfect. Yes. Well he done. is a priest of the uh, Greek Orthodox? Greek Orthodox Church. Um, and so we're going to be having a conversation about some of the differences between um, the Catholic faith and the Orthodox faith and the Protestant faiths, all the various branches of Christianity, as well as some about the schism that occurred between the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church during the Middle Ages. And finally, we're going to dip a little bit into demonology towards the end of the episode. So stay tuned. We're going to have, a, I think, a great conversation here. Um, and on top of that, this is going to be a good one for Super Chats, I think. I would hope so. Um, so if you have questions, remember, you can shoot them to us as Super Chats. Anything um, you ever want to ask a priest. Exactly. To ask. Come on. Except for <laughs> the non-respectful things, because if you say those, we won't read them. Yes. We learned our lesson when we had yeah. Mr. Bowen. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I will be pre-reading everything. Aiden, so. Aiden is now uh, the moderator. And if you're not nice to me, my wife will come after you. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's never it's never the church or the priest you have to worry about. It's the, the wives. Yes. All right. Um, so, I think to to get into that, uh, Father Peter, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the, um, you know, I, I think I think probably the best place to start would be misconceptions about the origins of the church. Like, so the the general idea is that the um, the earliest books of the Bible to be written, the Gospels, were compiled a couple hundred years after the uh, the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ, and that further past that, you kind of had these revisions to them by the early church, by the Council of Nicaea, um, and then by the Roman emperors as time went on. Uh, what what is what differs in terms of what the Orthodox Church teaches about the compilation of the early Bible and the authorship of it? Excellent. Well, you know, there's uh, the idea of where which came first, uh, the Bible or the church, uh, the chicken or the egg. Um, and we look and see that the uh, scripture is part of holy tradition, you know, which was passed down. And as you rightly said, the Bible was not written down in its written form uh, until, you know, till later. I mean, John's gospel was the last to be written because he was the, uh, the youngest. And so you're talking, uh, you know, the end of the first century. Um, so uh, the, it was part of the tradition, the oral tradition. Um, you know, scrolls, and actually, obviously, the Bible as we know it was not in a single volume until the time of the printing press and, and all of that. So, um, and it was actually, um, you have to understand that uh, the word Bible means uh, book, and there were many books, there were many authors of many uh, gospel accounts. And it was the church uh, in council, the early church, that came together and said, hey, these are the uh, books of the, the scripture that are uh, that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us that is necessary to, um, you know, to uh, project, you know, the truth of the gospel. Um, and of course, and I think it's at the end of Luke's gospel, he said, I suppose if, uh, you know, the world uh, would not, uh, you know, be big enough to contain all the, the books, should everything that was said and done was written, written down in, in Holy Scripture. So. so that's kind of the starting point is we look at it as tradition and out of tradition, comes, uh, you know, the, the Bible, you know, and later on, people seem to be a little bit more suspect about uh, something that is not scriptural, that is, you know, that they kind of posit scripture versus tradition, 
passing down, which is you know not containing the same authority you know that Scripture has. But Scripture we understand is to be uh, is to come out of the the Hoi tradition, the tradition that Jesus himself started and passed down to his uh, you know disciples. Uh, tradition paradosis means in Greek that which is passed down. All right. I kind of learned Greek. <laughs> like, I, I've learned, I've, I've found myself learning so much more about things through looking into the etymology than I ever was really taught or able to read. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, and as I was trying to find some things between, um, in terms of translations, after something you actually said to me the other day, but I, and I was looking through the Greek, of course, the Greek Bible is written in the Greek alphabet, so I had to go and I would imagine I would go imagine. and trans go and you know translates even just on on the level of letters and words like uh, angelos and hagia and all these various different Greek words that kind of uh, in the the Christian trans the the English Christian translation uh, translations uh, you know there's there's certainly some places here and there where like you can tell that they didn't have an exact word for it. And it ends up getting translated. I think, like you were saying, the words holy and saint have the same root word. So you end up getting parts where they had to use context clues to figure out exactly which one it was. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. And the more I looked into it, the more I was like, okay, I can see how they're, I, I can see where the differences in these translations eventually come from. Yeah. And uh, something that we've talked about quite a bit uh, on TikTok and YouTube recently has been uh, actually translations of the Bible and English translations, uh, particularly, for example, the King James Version is controversial because a lot of, uh, a lot of Catholic and uh, Protestant, but not not English Protestant traditions seem to dislike the KJV, uh, whereas um, you know most American Protestants, most mainline Protestants, use the King James Version uh, or the New King James, which is my favorite to actually read. But I try to go and back check it with something older and use context clues myself. But uh, as far as Bibles and translations go, what would you say? Uh, you know, what what are your thoughts on the version used by the the Greek Orthodox Church versus the Catholic versus the Anglican. Sure. So, um, you know, in, in our Orthodox Church, we, we've been working over the last, uh, you know, several decades to find a good translation in English. Um, and you have to understand scripture, you need to understand it, but also scripture is written in a way, you know, especially in Orthodoxy, to convey beauty. And, you know, bar none, the King James Version in English is, is a beautiful translation. It's a prayerful translation. Um, and so uh, we have started from the, you know, obviously from the uh, Septuagint uh, translation. The Septuagint means the, uh, the, the translation, the 70 of the, you know, of the uh, uh, Hebrew into, into Greek. Uh, so there were 70 scholars that did it independently and, uh, uh, you know, for the Hellenized Jews. And they found out that uh, you know that they were fairly uh, accurate, and they were done you know in a vacuum. So that there are certain phrases in there, certain um, translations in there, especially when it is context to uh, you know the Messiah and to the uh, the, the virgin birth that is uh, you know not emphasized in other translations, obviously because uh, in terms of Protestants and uh, versus Catholics and Orthodox, they have a different understanding of, of Mariology and, and the place of Mary uh, in the scriptures. So, um, so our uh, translation that is popularly in use now is a variation of the New King James Version with some mm -hmm. modifications in there for the uh, Septuagint you know, uh, text where there would be some 
uh, you know, some mistranslations or, or less than, than accurate translations that have been uh, corrected. So are you saying that when you, when you took the New King James yeah. and were basically checking it against the Septuagint exactly, exactly. and defaulting to the Septuagint? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, on, on things that were different. But in terms of the lyrical, you have to understand English, you know, is an impoverished language in a sense mm -hmm. to... Uh, to translate things, uh, translate things too, and and uh, you know, it's it, it lacks some of the subtle nuances of of the words, and you know, even in hymnology in the church, you know, in the Orthodox Church, they were written in Greek because that was the original language, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the Holy Land and in Jerusalem where the church uh, spread out, and even in the hymnology, they they would would rhyme. And then just the, the the rhyme and the meaning and the words and the spelling and everything. They would even have acrostics. So the first you know line of each verse of the hymn would start with a certain letter and it would be end. It would, if you were say having a saint for uh, a feast service for Saint Harlambas, you would also you'd, the first line would be with an H, then an A, an R, etc. So you know language is is a, an important uh, you know uh, vehicle and for for the orthodox it needs to be something that is prayerful because scripture is not something that's read in a vacuum for us scripture is liturgical it's mm -hmm. it's within our services if you were to look at the orthodox uh, divine liturgy which is you know the equivalent i guess of the the catholic mass uh you, if you were to dissect the text you would find that uh, it's almost entirely you know, scripturally uh, based, mm -hmm. and so again, that's you know, for us, scripture is something that is that is read, that's prayed for, but it's also um, you know, in the context of the services of the church, is where it's most uh, comprehensible, and uh, you know, and 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 uh, its meaning is fully uh, you know elucidated. So. Right. So, as far as it goes, what it sounds like to me is very much similar. Similar to what a lot of Muslims say about the Quran, in that you know the the translations tend to lose some meaning, and if you want to truly understand, you've got to go back and read it in Arabic, which I assume would then be the same with Greek, with the Bible, um, and Hebrew to a larger extent with the Old Testament. But um, what there's, you, there's nuances, and yeah. just one one other thing. I sure. had a, a New Testament uh, uh, professor, uh, he was a Greek scholar and was a Greek Orthodox priest. And, you know, the famous line, judge not lest you be judged. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, if you look in the original Greek, you know, that judge does not mean necessarily judgment, it means condemnation. Mm -hmm. Because we make judgments all the time, right. you know, in life. So, so judgment isn't a sin. It's, it's, you make a judgment. I made a judgment when I first walked into your apartment that the floor was going to hold me. You know, I've never <laughs> been in here before. Right. You know, I didn't, you know, there could have been a trap door, but I had faith. I saw you walk across the... <laughs> The front doorstep and i figured it was safe for me to walk so i made a judgment you know but there's a difference between judgment and, and condemnation so again nuances of words uh and so uh you know like you i i, I really like to if i have a problematic uh, verse of scripture mm -hmm. is to try to look at a you know a commentary and find the original you know the original text if right. I'm, I'm able to yeah i'm clear that's a that's a great example <laughs> i hadn't even thought of that uh, so when it comes to, uh, again, my mind's really been on translations lately, <laughs> but uh, the, so for example, the, what you're saying, of course, is that the, the Orthodox uses kind of a Septuagint-based version of the New King James. Um, and also, but also with the Orthodox canon of scripture, 
we contain the so-called so uh, deuterocanonical books yes. or secondary canonical books that uh, so the Orthodox Bible contains uh, the most books uh, you know of all the, mm -hmm. the Christian traditions just like one or two more than Roman Catholic Church and, and definitely more than in the Protestant uh, you know confession so right. so the translation <laughs> has to include that in 67 and, it's and, so, and it's some perfect. of those original King James version did include, yes it did include, did the, Apocrypha. include the apocryphal books so. which is it's such a weird thing that gets left out of argumentation every time I see it when I see people arguing about or if I take part in arguments about the King James because it's what I was brought up to read it's what I read in college it's right. kind of just it is what I stuck with and then of course we used a Harper Collins study Bible to make things easier on everybody but I one thing I found very interesting is the first of all the people don't actually admit to the King James originally containing the apocryphal works and then eventually them being taken out and put into a separate book so that it didn't confuse people because it really is one of those things where like with the, the King James with some of the early Lutheran Bibles and, and the Vulgate and of course we're yes, all course. versions meant to be readable by anybody who is literate rather than just people who spoke ecclesiastical right. Latin um, so it's, it's it's very interesting that people tend to leave that out of the argument but I uh, I think that's that's a very important piece of it is that it, it's not that these books were taken out and made non-scriptural or non-holy or anything right. it's just that they were separated out to be more of a um you know a reference guide rather exactly. than necessarily you know and i think the word apocrypha definitely has uh, for some reason maybe it's because of the similarity to the word apocalypse but um yeah. it's taken on kind of a, a negative connotation that i don't think it necessarily needs to have um, because it's not a negative thing. It's just, you know, the difference between these are certainly scripture and these might be divinely inspired, but we can't really decide, so we're going to keep them as a good reference. Um, is that a, that's, that's, that's a good right, way to exactly, look at it? Exactly, and that's how some of the confessions have, have felt. Uh, but you have to understand in terms of the canon of scripture, which is, you know, for your listeners, it's just the canon mean, in Greek means the rule, the, the uh, composition of it was fairly fixed by the, the 6th century, uh, you know, at a council, and it did include the, the apocryphal books. They, they were that canon. And, you know, you were saying we would be speaking tonight a little bit about the, the early church, that it's, uh, that the church was one. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was only the church, or yeah. the, if you want to use the word, Catholic church, which means just the universal yeah, church. It, just means it doesn't universal. mean like Roman Catholic, or, but it, it just means the universal church. So the, the universal church at the councils gathered together, when we were still in church, came up with the canon of scripture, which is what you know the Orthodox Church, uh, you know, maintains uh, to this day. So, in terms of of you know, we go back to uh, the first millennium of, of Christianity and what was what was held, you know, in common by by all. Uh, we still maintain to this day. So, and then others for very you know for various reasons. Uh, you know, um, as time marched on, um, had, had, you know, what they considered to be good reasons for, I suppose, for removing it from the canon or de-emphasizing or emphasizing other, mm -hmm. you know, other things. So, but, you know, I mean, you're, you're a student of history and, you know, a lot of times things happen for, I don't want to use historical accidents, but there yeah. is, you know, uh, it's political, you know, there's what there's, you know, there's the human side and there's the, the divine side. And, and, you know, we believe that Jesus Christ was both God and man. And so you have the humanity and the divinity and, and sometimes things happen, uh, that aren't intended, but, you know, God does not, you know, he gives us this freedom to kind of digress and, mm -hmm. 
you know, over, you find that with anything to do with the church and in reality and truth, that over a period of time you may stray a bit, but you always tend to come back to, to that which is, uh, you know, essential and true. Yeah, that's, I, I did want to touch on that. Um, what, so one of the early, uh, early divisive topics in Christianity was the Trinity itself and between Arianism and the Syriac traditions and the Greek right. traditions. Um, so where, where did the Trinity as a concept come from? Well, if you look in the Old Testament, you look in the book of Genesis, mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, chapter three, uh, let us make man, you know, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That's one that gets, I've seen that brought up so many times. That, that's one of the words, one of the times where it uses uh, Elohim, right? yeah. instead of yeah. right. just El or Yahweh yeah. or yeah. any of those. Or Let Yehovah. us make, so, yeah. you know, we see that in the, you know, in the midst of, and then in the Old Testament, again, um, how do you interpret scripture? There, in the Old Testament, you know, we spoke about this the other day, mm -hmm. there are a lot of, um, you know, narratives that, you know, that are taking place, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, one of them is, uh, you know, is they speak about Abraham and Sarah entertaining, mm -hmm. you know, strangers, and there were three. And the church looks at that and say they entertained, it was the, the Holy mm -hmm. Trinity, you know, so. There's um, a lot of, a lot of threes. Yeah, in the Bible, yeah, it's truly incredible. So the, what you're saying is that the way that the early church was viewing it with the Trinity was yeah. kind of this, you know, something that was presented very explicitly in terms of the yes. the New Testament time period. But they went back and looked at those Old Testament points sure. and were like, all right, so this is a Trinity, this is Trinity, this is Trinity, and basically use that to well, I mean, collect to think, everything and say. But in, the, but in the New Testament, think of it this way: when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. The Father mm -hmm. bore witness to His voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, mm -hmm. whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And the Spirit, in the form of the dove, hovered. Mm -hmm. So you, here you have a man of a revelation of the Trinity at the beginning of His public ministry when Jesus was baptized by John. So you have there. You have very, very clearly. You know, of course, someone can say, "Well, you know, that's that's a dove." I, we hear the Father and we hear mm -hmm. Jesus, but um, you know, uh, a dove is. Uh, you know, is, is something that is very majestic. Mm -hmm. uh, a dove is very sensitive to um, to smell, to uh, noise, and is very, you know, very gentle. And if, you know, as a Christian, you know, who uh, has had has an experience of the Holy Spirit in the church, you know that, that that peacefulness that you feel is the grace of the Holy Spirit. But that peacefulness, and, and all of us, you know, um, in our lives know that we have peaceful moments, you mm -hmm. know, if we're religious or we're not. And uh, something can can come and just rob you of that uh, that feeling of peacefulness. Mm -hmm. It's that elusive. It's that gentle. It's that you know quiet. And and we lament sometimes that we're you know we're having this moment and it's it's shattered. If you're a, a parent and you're having a quiet moment and then <laughs> and then the baby wakes you up, which, right? Uh, you know, my wife and I we had many many uh, nights like that. Yeah. You know. In our experience, so. yeah, even he does that to me sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. For those of you watching, the little guy is under the table. Um, he's he will make an appearance later, I'm sure. Yeah, he's he, always, a little he's, he is very tuckered out. He uh, he was he was hanging with a German Shepherd puppy. Oh well, and, um, was it was funny seeing him be the adult dog in the room. That was weird. Fair. I always think of him as a puppy. Um, <laughs> but, interesting what you said about the dove because that makes me think of uh, the the flood story in Genesis, and I never really thought about the dove being, yes. you know, mm -hmm. like the Holy Spirit. But my, you know, my yeah, that's, my high school religion teachers would not be happy with me right now. So. <laughs>
Uh, Episcopal Academy. What a what a place. A good place. Just you know, very Episcopal. We didn't we didn't cover a lot of Genesis actually. <laughs> you guys were Anglican, right? <laughs> well, Episcopalian and Anglican are the same thing. No. Church of England. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a school where it was like it's Episcopal, but you can be of any faith. Here, right. So. Yeah. But I mean, like as a structure, it was technically an Episcopal an Episcopalian school. Correct. I was baptized Episcopalian. Really? Nobody in my family is Episcopalian. Interesting. I have absolutely no clue why I was baptized. I was going to say, who made that decision? I don't know. I don't think my mom wanted to baptize me as a Catholic. Fair. Uh, well, you know, to be honest, uh, <laughs> a lot of people see that as a, you know, as a compromise because mm-hmm. the Anglican Church and the Episcopal Church is a quote-unquote high church. Yeah. And uh, sometimes if, if people were of differing faiths, they made a compromise to find something that was similar to so right. no one was was uh, was giving giving up either their yeah I'm not I'm not sure what the compromise here was my dad's a staunch atheist and my mom is kind of like was a Catholic growing up but now she I, our entire family's kind of non denominational my stepdad's a Baptist I'm a Methodist like you know we've got all these all these differentiations but I don't I, to this day I'm still not sure where the that decision was made but it is what it is I'm not mad about it mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I don't think it, I don't think I'm gonna die and get up there and they're gonna be like well, you mean, picked the wrong one like I don't think that's gonna quite in the, yeah, Nicene, in the Nicene Creed, we speak of one baptism for the remission mm-hmm. of sins. And I mean, pretty much, uh, it's it's fairly standard within mm-hmm. Orthodoxy. In certain certain cases, perhaps not. Uh, but if we know that um, someone has been baptized in the name of the Trinity, if they were to uh, embrace Orthodoxy, mm-hmm. generally speaking, we would not rebaptize mm-hmm. them. You know, but there's some are baptized in some uh, sort sort of questionable manners, not in the name of the Trinity. Uh, then then we would uh, perform a, a baptism or not baptize at all. Um, right. So uh, a couple of years ago, I had a wonderful experience of a family from Ghana mm-hmm. that uh, they were not baptized and as adults. My first adult, uh, you know, baptisms mm-hmm. in this big, you know, water trough. Did you do it by like full immersion? Full immersion, yeah. So uh, it was it was a really amazing thing. But that's that's for that's for another time to tell you that story. Just yeah. real quick before sure. we jump into the next yeah. question. Somebody in chat is very excited right now. Uh, Zeus, okay. he, he's Greek, so uh, okay. he, he wants to say hi. He's very excited. Well, Kali uh, which means good evening. There we go. Kali is good evening. Kali is good night. So, and, and, not, and, and to be full, to, for full disclosure at the beginning, mm-hmm. you introduced me as a Greek Orthodox priest. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I consider myself just an Orthodox, just Orthodox priest because in this country we sort of uh, lose the. Is it all just kind of one here? Yeah, I mean, but I, there are certain churches that uh, you know that keep the ethnic moniker. In my I particular think, parish, we're so we're pan pan, uh, pan ethnic. We've got uh, Greek Serbians. Uh, the founders were from Slovakia, Ukrainians, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ethiopian uh, family. Uh, so. Um, but at any rate, uh, uh, but we do. Our, our patriarch is Greek Zeus, yeah. so uh, nice. you know. And he was just uh, he was just here. I don't know if you saw the news. Our ecumenical patriarch was in the United States for uh, for two weeks. Uh, he was in Washington. Uh, he received an honorary degree at uh, you know um, you know at uh, Purdue and mm-hmm. uh, went to Georgetown. It was and, kind of him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's actually another. Good point to make because I, I want to kind of shift into the the eventual the the, the divisions and then the eventual schism between the two uh, early churches, the Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. But we now have the Roman Catholic and the the Eastern. Orthodox sides, the Eastern Orthodox. Um, so early on, the, tr- the structure 
of the the church was that there were, I believe, what five patriarchs? Correct. Seated at Rome, yes. uh, Alexandria, Damascus, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and uh, Constantinople. Yeah. Um, Good. <laughs> awesome. Legaspi, if you're watching, <laughs> I remembered. Um, so, I uh, and then eventually one of the one of the issues that arose that caused the schism was the the uh, bishop in Rome asserting supremacy over the other four. So, what is how is obviously in Europe that those lines are very clear to draw when right. you move over into the United States? It's a little bit harder to decide who should be in charge of what. So, how has the church handled? Moving into uh, other countries, other countries. Well, that's uh, that's a good uh, that's a good question. So, uh, Orthodoxy, um, you know, the five patriarchates were, were decentralized in the extent that um, you know that each bishop is has authority over his own diocese, and no bishop has the right to interfere in another bishop's uh, diocese. Uh, in the undivided Christian Church, um, you know, in Rome with the other, uh, you know. The Pentarchy, mm-hmm. uh, Rome was considered to be the first among equals, mm-hmm. and then at the Council of Nicaea, after that was Constantinople. So the first among equals means that that uh, that that hierarch would gather the people in council together and would chair the meeting because mm-hmm. you know you have to have some structure right. in organization or there's chaos. So he would chair the meeting, but in the end. Uh, either he would have no voice because, mm-hmm. you know, generally speaking, if you're a president of a you know meeting, you you tend not to vote, yeah. or you only have one, you know, uh, one vote. But mm-hmm. again, they're trying to build the consensus mm-hmm. to have everyone heard, just to be a moderator, to uh, you know, again, to kind of to be the trumpet of the the voice of the Holy Spirit pulling people together. But the infallibility in the the East and in the early Church always was the Church gathering together. And then it wasn't until they gathered again that they looked back at the decisions to see that they were ecumenical, meaning that they were they were they were um, binding over the ecumeny, the entire mm-hmm. you know world and universe. And the people would be the ones, you know, the bishops got together. You know, there were three hundred eighty some odd bishops at the first council of Nicaea. You know, and uh, they went back to their sees. You know, it's the people that. Proclaim, and when a bishop is called or a priest is ordained, it's the people that will shout at the time of, of their ordination in Greek, axios, mm-hmm. worthy or unworthy. And if the <laughs> if the if the people started going anaxios and started screaming, mm-hmm. then the the ordination would stop. Really, because because they the people the 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 clergy come from amongst the people, mm-hmm. and the people have the uh, you know you know, are proclaiming them worthy or not worthy. So, you know, in Orthodox, it's much more of a conciliar, um, you know, understanding. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, today, the dialogue that's going on, that's for me, is, is uh, very interesting and very encouraging uh, between uh, the Orthodox Church and uh, Catholic, the Catholic Church is looking and saying, well, what was it like in the early centuries mm-hmm. of the church when we were one? How was that? And before the, the, the doctrine of, uh, you know, papal infallibility and, and you know, and all that. So, um, which is a topic I am going to get into which on the show at some point, right. not tonight. Right. <laughs> but so, 
so, you know, people look at the Orthodox Church and say, you know, no one can, um, this is kind of like tongue-in-cheek, no one can <laughs> accuse the Orthodox Church of being an organized religion. <laughs> I mean, especially in North America. So you have to understand that Orthodoxy is, you know, and faith, you know, in the early church uh, was seen as a way of life. Mm -hmm. Your religion, your politics, your faith, Everything was your occupation was woven in, and you know the early Christian, the early way of speaking of of one's faith in God is a way, not a religion, but a way, and so um, so it's a way of life, and and the culture, you know, the faith, the Orthodox faith always embraced the culture. So when they went, when they scattered out in the diaspora, out into the the other the hinterlands, and even coming into America. Uh, you have people that were coming from various expressions of orthodoxy. And America is a wonderful, uh, diverse nation, a melting pot of, of people from throughout the world. And so when they came over to the United States at the beginning, and the first, uh, the first was in, I believe, in 1768, I believe, in, uh, in uh, you know, New Orleans and the, the, the uh, you know, the, the sea, uh, the, the sea merchants uh, and everything from Greece, the sponge, you know, divers. And so the first place that they stopped in was, was in Florida. Now it's in uh, St. Foch's Shrine is there. And then also the fur traders in Alaska coming down from Alaska in the, you know, the 1700s and then coming into the United States through, uh, you know, through California and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Fort Ross mm -hmm. in, in, you know, out in, in the West in California. So, uh, but then the great wave of immigration was in the 1920s, uh, you know, late 1800s, 1920s. And so you have people coming from all different uh, ethnic uh, countries. And so they tended to set up, and now Orthodoxy set up uh, on ethnic lines. So the Greeks from Greece, they, they had their own bishop. The Russians had their own bishop. The Serbians had their own bishops. The Ukrainians had their own bishops. And so that's what you're seeing in America when you ask me, you know, are you, well, you're, is it safe to say you're Greek Orthodox? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'm an American. I'm a born American. I would mm -hmm. say that I'm, I'm, you know, an American Orthodox. But right now, our diocese are, are you know, organized by ethnic, um, you know, backgrounds. So you could have two Orthodox bishops in the same, uh, you know, in the same state, in the same city, which is not according to what it's supposed to be, yeah. as, you know, going back to the tongue-in-cheek thing about organization. But we... Um, but nobody wants to give up. Their, right, well, I mean, but, spot. but the, the bishops are getting together and we're looking to see how we would, how we would, handle, how we would handle that. And, and to be fair, um, Roman Catholicism, when they came over, um, you know, you, you take Phoenixville here, for instance, uh, you know, now closed uh, Sacred Heart Church was more of the Slovak, uh, you know, in Polish you had more the Irish that I believe was was St. Anne's, mm -hmm. and I'm not exactly sure, you know, what the, the church, uh, you know, on the north side, uh, you know, St. Mary's up there, what, what ethnic background they were from, mm -hmm. and so the people, you know, moved to an area, and they, they got into a neighborhood and they set up the churches. So they came, you know, basically the late 1800s, and so now it's kind of evolved to where wherever you are, you know, you go to the closest Catholic church. Mm -hmm. And if our diocese main ones were started in the 30s and 40s, you know, we're we're not even a hundred years into a uh, hundred years into being here, and we're getting close to uh, to doing that. And our parishes reflect, and our and our parishes that are that are thriving are the ones that are able to kind of incorporate the 
the various uh, liturgical traditions. And, and I'm thrilled that, uh, you know, that I'm able to, uh, if we have Greek families and uh, they need, uh, you know, something, something done according to their customs or in the language, you know, I can handle it, or Russian, I can, I can do that, mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, but so coming to this country, it makes it hard because there isn't a centralized, mm -hmm. you know, but our, our bishops of the various dioceses uh, get together and, and they meet in a uh, kind of like a, an assembly, they call it an assembly of bishops, it's, it's slightly less than a, than a synod of bishops that right. the Roman Catholic would, but, um, but what we say is it's the faith that holds us together. And what's interesting about Orthodox is disorganized in terms administratively as we are. Um, if you go from one Orthodox church to another, you're not going to find a huge variation in someone, you know, having a very, you know, uh, you know, liberal theology of, of, you know, the nature of, of, you know, divine nature is, was Jesus truly God and truly man. And you can go into some some areas in Christianity and other branches where depending on what seminary you're going to, you might not, some may not even believe in the, in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, mm -hmm. you know, or the, or the divinity of, of, of Jesus. So that's, it's crazy. That's that odd to me. Just a heads up. We sure. are at 743 as a time really check. Really already? Yeah. So wow. that's why right. we're getting time check. Schisms. Moving to the schism. So uh, for those who don't know much about the Great Schism, which is probably almost all of you, unless Isaiah is watching, in which case he probably knows everything about it. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> no, he's, he was our one of our guests recently. Uh, he's a Sunday school teacher. Um, so I assume he actually knows about the Great Schism. I don't know. Maybe that's more of a his, historian side of things. I don't know. Mm -hmm. if, I don't know how, how much Protestants really learn about it or care about it anymore. Um, we'll have to ask him. Yeah, we'll have to have to do that. He's going to come on again in December. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so we, we planned that. Nice. And I'm actually going to have a, a plan. Oh, it's time. not going to be chaos yeah. this time. Yeah, last time we had him on, it was just like, it's, it kind of happened last minute. And mm. um, it was mostly mostly Isaiah and I trying to be entertaining for an hour and a half. <laughs> but I think it worked. I think it worked. Um, <laughs> but uh, so for those who don't know much about the Great Schism, essentially, uh, what's the exact year? It's bandied about 1054. Yeah, okay. So um, some of the key tension points here were, uh, for example, the generation of Constantine, which is something that the, uh, the, the Pope put forward during um, the investiture controversy. It had, been, it had come up a few times earlier. Uh, it was this idea that there was a, a document given by Constantine that said that the church had the sole authority to invest bishops, so to determine who would be the bishop of a region. And this is important because in the Middle Ages, bishops acted as governors in many cases, as well as generals. There's actually some very interesting uh, woodcuttings and, and prints of archbishops in full plate mail and their, I forget what the hat's called, but their big archbishop hat. Uh, if you look at a chess piece, that's the reason there's a, a bishop on, on a chessboard is because they actually were involved in warfare to a large extent. They would be the administrative head of what was called a bishopric and they would essentially run the area as a governor. And during the uh, 1070s, I believe, this became a, a flashpoint between... But do, the, you, do you know why that, do you know why that happened? The exact. No, do you know why that they took on this political role? Uh, in I mean, I have my historical opinion yeah. as to why it happened, yeah. but what, what what's the? I mean, part of it is if you understood that you have the empire shifting from Rome mm -hmm. to the new Rome, 
from from Rome to Byzantium. You know, Byzantium was this little seaport, wasn't really much of anything, mm -hmm. but it sort of shifted with Constantine towards the eastern part of the empire. So uh, in in the West, you had you know you always had the emperor, and you had you know you also had the uh, the patriarch or the or the bishop. So they had their own separate. Uh, things, but in the western part, you know, around the fifth and sixth century, Illyrium is the bridge between, uh, you know, the western and eastern segments. So this area was at that point being overrun. You know, Islam was rising, and there was there was not a lot of connection between the two. Mm -hmm. And so in the west, the uh, the the secular powers of the governor of managing it were given to uh, were given to the clerics and to mm -hmm. the bishops. So, so much of you see today, Vatican is a state. Yeah. You know, it's a state because that in the East, because you had the emperor, the church didn't really, you know, the, the clergy were not seen as they weren't uh, royalty or they weren't part of the nobility. Yeah, so, so that's exactly what I was going to ask you, actually, was, you know, in, in, in my opinion, from the historical standpoint, things as a historian, I look at it and I see, all right, well, 476, the Goths sack Rome for good. Yes. It transitions into Ostrogothic rule. The the political map of Europe is a mess. You've got, you yes. know, the, the Vandals moving into Africa and yeah. the Eastern Roman Empire still actually pretty much being the exact same thing. But, uh, and then under Justinian actually yeah. reasserting itself, which is one of the most fascinating what-if scenarios in history, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, what if they had succeeded and actually taken Spain? Um, you know, would the world be what it is now? But uh, the, basically in the East, they maintained order. In the West... You had the Franks, and you had the Saxons, and you had the Macromani, and all these various different tribes. Actually, Macromani might have been a lot older. I might be mix, mix, ah, mixing things up here. Uh, the, um, the Langobards coming, of course, down into uh, Italy and becoming the Lombards, and then eventually asserting themselves against uh, Charlemagne and all of these. Basically, you went from having this very uniform political state ruled by a very, very ancient and well-oiled political machine to, you know just immediately in the course of a couple of decades reverting back to the way it was a thousand years earlier. Um, and that caused a lot of upheaval. And the one thing that kind of remained in this, you know, the the ashes of Rome was the church. It was the, the one thing that was still standing and still universally recognized, even though some of the tribes were Aryan or some of the tribes were various different branches of Christianity. Um, the way we look at it is, all right, well, the, the church basically, in order to survive and in order to keep order, asserted itself as a political Absolutely. power. Absolutely. Um, whereas in the East, you you maintained the political power of the Roman Empire. And the emperor, did, did the emperor have a role, would you say? He did. I mean, he was the one who, uh, you know, convened the, the councils, mm -hmm. you know, and then in the East, you know, uh, they were very, they were theologically trained as well. And, uh, you know, there was even, um, you know, even the coronation, the emperor would, you know, he would take a place almost in, in the sanctuary, like, you know, as a bishop. So there was, there was, you know, a, you know, a closer a symbiotic uh, relationship, but the church did not have to really get so involved in the, you know, the political affairs. And I mean, to be very fair to the West, I mean, they were going through and going through an incredibly, as you said, difficult time with the populace, Franks and the Goths, as far as they were populace, concerned. everything that was going on. And, and so you had in the Eastern part where, you know, the education and, and things. So that, so you saw the East and the West starting to to kind of diverge in, in their thought processes. You know, no longer were they fluent in Greek in the, in the West. 
and no longer were in the East where they so fluent in Latin. And so part of the, the misunderstandings and things came about for lack of communication. Right. You know, it's not like today where you could, you know, you could uh, pop everything. Pop everything. And, yeah. And you, and, and also have the, have the connection with one another, like we did during COVID, you know, we still maintain yeah. connection and trans, you know, and conducted business and all of that. Mm -hmm. But in that period of time, you know, because of historical accidents or whatever you want to call it, uh, it, it, it kind of polarized them. And so you saw in the West, they took on a different different approach to, you know, to even uh, to governing and then looking at the church in terms of a little bit more political structure, a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, secular in a sense of, of how it was operated and, and centralizing the power in the East was more sort of a following the... Uh, you know, Hellenistic and the, uh, you know, the, the Hebraic traditions. Mm -hmm. And so you had sort of a very Eastern way of looking at things, less analytical, mm -hmm. you know, and more focused on, um, you know, on, on myst uh, more of a mystical approach uh, to things and less scholastic approach to problems and defining dogmas mm -hmm. and the West was, was more rule oriented and bound because they were, they were in chaos. And right. so, it kind of reflected on the church. And so you, you had some kind of divergent, you know, paths. But one of the big issues that, that separated the church was adding the, the so-called filioque, which is just filioque means and the son, means right. there was a there was something that was added into the creed and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and they added and the son. <laughs> Uh, and this was which added, gave the Holy Spirit kind right, of a subordinate right. role, and, and it was put in there because there was a controversy in Spain where people were denigrating, you know, the uh, the Holy Spirit that it was sort of out on the so they said, well, it proceeds from the Father in the you know in the Son, and one of the the Eastern Fathers said the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father through the Son, mm -hmm. but not from you know, and so it's uh, incredible how those little tiny. Changes in wording. Just well, the, well, from... the Pope. Well, the Pope. <laughs> the Pope. The Pope's uh, kind of actually rebelled against adding the filioque in it, mm -hmm. and it was the Franks and the Goths and the, that, that pushed them to do that. And as a matter of fact, in the Vatican to this day, the the creed is in in the, the Vatican in on these tablets without the filioque. Interesting. So um, you know, so it was a. It, they sort of kind of exaggerated it to because when you're when when you're in an argument sometimes you exaggerate your mm -hmm. point just to to uh, you know to get someone to think about it so that's that's one of the, the issues that separated but what you said was interesting one you know uh, one word or one letter can change something so you know the expression it doesn't make one iota of difference mm -hmm. you know where that comes from right I'm not gonna give any certainty that I actually okay. know where that comes from. <laughs> okay. That's, I might. You're good. I might. So, <laughs> we'll find out. So, you were talking before about the Arians, you mm -hmm. know, the, the first major, you know, the controversy. Really quick thing. Church, yeah. Arian, not Arian. Oh, yeah. A-R-I-A-N. <laughs> Arias. The doctrine not, of Arius. He not essentially, Arian, not the... Yeah. The way it was described to me in college was that he essentially preached that rather than being uh, equal parts of the Trinity... Christ and the Holy Spirit were more like super angels, like right. above Michael and Raphael and all of that, but that they weren't quite God himself. Right. Is... So, so in, in Arius, yeah. you know, uh, the, the term that they used to say 
either the Jesus Christ was of the same essence or of like essence. Mm -hmm. Arius said that he was like God the Father, but not the same. It wasn't the same. Yeah. And you know, the, the church itself proclaimed that he was of the same essence. So the word for of the same essence is homoousius. Mm -hmm. And the term for of like substance is homoousius. The only thing that's different is the little, is the I in there, the iota. So one little one iota letter, does make one quite a iota difference. made a huge difference, just one little letter. And uh, just to kind of give a little bit more gravity to the difference between Arian and, uh, you know, or Nicene, Nicene Christianity, which is how it's referred to by historians, the, the period between right. uh, the Nicene and Constantinople councils. Um, but uh, the people who followed Arian Christianity were, for example, the Ostrogoths, who ended up coming in and sacking Rome and reestablishing themselves. And they eventually, I believe, converted to Latin Christianity, um, not Orthodox. Right. Uh, but, you know, at first you basically had this massive um, rival religion, religious movement coming in and quite literally burning one of the other ones to the ground. Um, and then, of course, the, the Latins still managed to reassert themselves. They're incredible at doing that. Um, but I do want to take, uh, yeah. I, I want to roll into that last topic before we hop over to Super Chats, which is kind of the, the demonology of the, the Christian faith. And uh, most people are probably most familiar with uh, the Warrens, uh, you know, from the, the Conjuring, the Annabelle movie series, um, you know, again. Uh, and the Warrens you know, lived very close to me when I lived yeah. in Connecticut. And one thing, just to, to quickly plug one of our friends, uh, Wendigoon has a great video on the Warrens and uh, dissecting, you know, where they seemed like they were really doing stuff, where they seemed like they may have been frauds, mm -hmm. um, you know, going through it very analytically, going through their whole story, which I found fascinating. It was a great video. Definitely go check that out. Um, and if you're curious about some of these stuff we've not brought up with the Franks, the, the Goths, the Visigoths, uh, our video on Germany actually addresses that, as will the second video on Germany when we eventually get to it. Yes. So to hop into that... Um, as far as uh, the, the concept of demons and evil spirits and things that are not human, uh, not angel, but simply these, these evil beings, what I think one thing I want to bring up first is what is the, what's the Greek word that's used to refer to these um, in, in the church? Because I know you said you have a, a very specific evil spirits right. how-to manual. Right. Um, <laughs> and then also... You know what's what's well, kind of the opinion of the, the, the Orthodox Church on this? Yeah. Well, the um, you know the greatest demon of all is Satan, mm -hmm. and in Greek word is diabolos, which means is the, is the great uh, you know divider. Mm -hmm. So and that is, I assume, the the same root. Right. As yes. Devil. If devil, yeah, diabolos, the yeah. devil, the the divider, because Satan is a lie. He's the father of lies. He's mm -hmm. you know he's a liar, and um, so uh, again. What is the origin of uh, of demons? Well, you know, there's in the Orthodox understanding, you have the whole realm of bodiless powers. We call them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know that can comprises of of angels, um, and there were two types of angels. Well, obviously, they were God created the angels. They were pure spirits. He gave them a free will, mm -hmm. and that's that's an understanding that that we have in Christianity. And at the beginning. At some point in time, they made their decision once and for all. 
And so Satan was Lucifer. He was the brightest of all the, of the angels, and he was sort of the, he was the, the leader. Mm -hmm. But um, Lucifer wanted to be greater than God mm -hmm. and lighter than God. And so um, in, in, in his pride, uh, he fell. And, you know, you see in the book of Revelation, it talks about, you know, the archangel, you know, slaying Satan and chasing him, you know, out of, uh, you know, out of heaven and bringing him down into the, to the dark places. So when the devil fell, he brought his angels with him mm -hmm. and being away from, from God was light, they became dark. So, I mean, it's just like when you take away the light from something, if you were to shut all the lives, lights off in this room, there would be dark. We didn't create dark, but we just removed the light. Yeah, darkness from, is the absence of light. It's the absence of light. And so, um, you know, in terms of, of looking and saying, well, what kind of spirits, you know, are there and how do they work? Um, in orthodoxy, we, we, we try not to over-define things. Mm -hmm. We try not to step into areas where we... We, we shouldn't speak because some of these things we do not know mm -hmm. but in our experience we know that you know that angels do communicate with human beings they've had that ability and the word angel angelos also means messenger mm -hmm. so an angel is is given uh, you know has functions and in in the understanding of the the church there are nine ranks of angels, nine different types, angels, archangels, principalities, thrones, dominions, authorities, uh, I'm probably missing. Another thing Wendigoon has a great video about. <laughs> and each of these have a function, but their highest function is to, to praise God. An angel is called to, to praise and glorify God, which we all are called to do. The highest form you know, of our life is, our highest purpose should be to, to praise and glorify God. And so you have different, there are actual bodiless powers that are in charge of looking after people who are rulers of mm -hmm. nations, you know, um, and guardians. So basically, it's the angels and archangels that we know have directly, you know, intervened with, with mankind. We know that the archangel Gabriel, for instance, came to Mary to, to announce that she would become uh, the mother of, of, of Christ, the mother of God. Uh, and we know that you know, angels have appeared at various uh, at various times. Uh, so, um, in terms of of the demons, uh, we look at them. We have a prayer during um, our Lenten season um, where we pray, "O Lord, Master, Lord, take from me the spirit the spirit of laziness, despair, lust for power, idle talk, you know." Um, and give rather the spirit of chastity, purity, humility, patience, and love. Mm -hmm. You know, so we see the opposite. So we could say there's a demon of sloth, of laziness. If you're feeling like lazy, it's, you know, there is a real, there's a demon there that's trying to make you, you know, sluggish. You know, the old uh, expression, the devil made me do it. Um, mm -hmm. But in, in something as very simplistic as my, you know, my Sunday school, you know, teacher taught me, you know, you have two angels on your shoulder, your guardian angel, when you're baptized, you are assigned a guardian angel. Mm -hmm. And so your guardian angel whispers in your ear, your right ear, uh, what you should be doing. And the demon, corresponding demon, is whispering, you know, su making suggestions. They can't force you to do, we have free will. But there's a whole host of invisible, bodiless powers that are, that are out there trying to, uh, you know, to influence us. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of, you know, going into demonology and, uh, you know, 
performing exorcisms and things like the, the Warrens do. My experience with exorcisms is in baptism. Um, and I just had a baptism on, on Saturday where before we begin the baptism service, no matter what, as a matter of course, uh, we perform an exorcism. We, we mark the child or adult that is to be baptized and say, hey, you know, we're claiming this person for, for God. And if there are any, you know, evil spirits that are influencing them, then, uh, you know, be gone, mm -hmm. depart and lay my hand on them and perform, pray three prayers of, of exorcism. And it's amazing. Sometimes the, I, no sooner that I do that, they, they, they start crying un, unconsolably, you know, and then you bring, put them in the water after baptism, they cry, but then they're okay, they're okay, uh, you know, after that. So, uh, and then, um, you know, that's what we do. Uh, have I ever been asked to perform, you know, an exorcism? Have I been ever asked to go to uh, scary houses and things? Yes. I mean, I've been a priest 28 years. And, you know, priests always get, you know, you wonder when the phone rings, you know, what bizarre request you're going <laughs> to get today sometimes. I mean, now it's emails or, or texts or whatever. But usually if it's texts, it's from my own parishioners. When the phone usually, rings. Usually when the phone rings, I assume that someone needs to talk to me about my car's extended warranty. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> or, or, Incredible because I don't have one. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. Well, or, I call. or my favorite is they call and ask if I need Viagra. So. Oh, <laughs> Do I have that to look forward to as I age? Um, I, I mean, some of my favorites were over the, one of the most unhinged things that I remember happening uh, in my life was over the past summer where you would get calls and it was like, you know, the FBI is, you know, yeah. looking for you. And if you pay us $500, yeah. they won't be. And I was like, 500 I've been getting really? calls about student loans. I don't have student loans. Yeah, there you go. Wow, just, just flex on us, Satan. Had to. What's that like? Weird, considering they get very detailed about things, and I was like... Do you want, do you want some of mine? Sure. Okay, I'll, I'll transfer this. <laughs> it'll just it'll be a little clerical error. You know, Aiden, Aiden. Nobody will ever know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Or I can just start taking it out of, out of the show. I mean, use the show to pay for it. Yeah. And then neither of us makes any money. Yeah, just Uncle terrible. Sam. So back to demons. Yeah. <laughs> the IRS. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, but the thing is, sometimes people, but today I, I found, you know, honestly, if I were to have a program or something on here about demons and everything, or even when my teenagers would, when I would teach son, you know, church school, especially to the, to the middle school kids. You talk about anything when we start talking about demons and, and that their 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 attentions uh, peak up and everything. Oh yeah, because of the paranormal. I mean, paranormal. These things are are weird and strange, and and so uh, I don't I don't um, you know I I don't make any judgments to try to figure out why it's happening, and I'm am very reluctant to get involved in doing exorcisms because you're you're playing with fire. Yeah, you know, and uh, you really need to be very spiritually strong to do it. I had a couple instances where people asked me one really scary thing, bizarre, where this house was uh, was being troubled by, uh, you know, crosses were spinning around on the walls, and Jeez. and there was crazy stuff going on. And and you know, a priest friend of mine said, you know, I have some parishioners that moved in your area. Can you do it? And so I had to call the bishop's office and say, what do I do? I, because, <laughs> and you know, the, the beautiful thing about being a priest in a hierarchical church, you're under obedience to, to a higher authority and guidance, you know, rather than, you know, uh, than having my own understanding. And uh, I was given very strict you know what i should do i should you know pray prayers for house trouble by evil spirits and again we have you know 
the the you know the Satanists have their book of cast of spells. Mm-hmm. We have our book of prayers for mm-hmm. for all occasions and and such things. And 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 as I was telling you the other day, I went into this house. The first thing I wanted to do was see where the, all the entrances and exits of the house <laughs> were, so I could run out yeah. just in case. <laughs> Always good to have an exit strategy. But uh, when I went into the house, uh, you know, okay, nothing weird was happening. I'm blessing. I'm looking around, and and there I see in the library. You know, uh, tarot cards and mm. a Ouija board. And I said, well, duh. <laughs> You're playing with fire. Get rid of these things. Well, it's just something I had. I said, well, I would get rid of it if I were you. And uh, so um, nothing happened. And, and, you know, I never heard back, uh, you know, other than that they obviously moved from the, <laughs> right, from the house. And, uh, you know, and, and one other time I had a parishioner that was a nurse at a nursing home. And there were a lot of bad things that were happening. There were... Elderly people were falling a lot, were getting hurt. There was, between the staff, they were kind of, um, you know, at each other's throats. It, was, it wasn't it was a very good uh, situation. And uh, finally, the director of nursing, who was, you know, also Christian with my, uh, with my parishioner, said, well, can you have them come and bless it? But we did it like at 9 o'clock at night when, the, when no one was around and the people were all asleep. You know, they're elderly. They're all asleep at right. 5 o'clock at night anyway. <laughs> And uh, so I blessed it. I mean, again, I didn't see anything, you know, God knows what I could handle because if I saw all this crazy stuff, I don't, I don't know how well I would have, <laughs> would have handled that. But nothing happened. And then later they told me that, you know, that everything stopped. There was no more, you know, no more things. So, you know, do these things happen? Do people in houses have spirits that are there? And, and you know, uh, how, you know, do I believe it? You know, I've heard of people, one of my parishioners' homes, that um, that when they were in the house and when they were disciplining their children, there would be cigar smoke they could smell. And then they found out that the person, you know, was was a child or something was was abused. And uh, anytime someone was yelling or screaming at kids or anything, they this this person got got upset. And so they said, you know, after I bless the homes. And in our tradition, we, we bless, I go every year to every home in my parish and restaurants and, and places, and I bless them, um, you know, just to provide uh, the grace of God to, to people. And, um, you know, after doing that, it, it, it subsides. So, so what is it? You know, uh, do I believe that people die and they're, they're, they're hanging around? Uh, I don't know. I, I just know from the lives of the saints that there are there are recorded instances which I which I hold to be reliable that there's communication between uh, the living and the departed. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, for the most part, God uses these things for for whatever reason, and you know, souls and and things are in contact with us because we understand that that there is a harmony between the church. We're called. The church now, of the people that are living, are called the church militant. You know, we're the ones that are soldiers fighting in this life for, for, the, for our souls and for the, for the life of the world. And we have the church triumphant uh, that are in heaven. And we are in such communication, you know, with them. They don't cease to exist because of death. In Christ, they're all alive. So how it works, you know, I'm not going to get into specifics or try to figure out you know well what's this demon is this uh you know there's a, there's a whole school of the happy the nice ones are hobgoblins and the other ones are this <laughs> and that that some of the war that you that you guys uh get in and, and study I, I don't go there i just i try to stay 
you know, as far away from the, the darkness right. and, you know, and, and as my role as a priest is, is to be a bearer of, uh, you know, bearer of light, bearer right. of Christ. That is all fantastic information. I'm so glad we did this. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm not going to lie. I've been very excited about this yeah, for like weeks. Um, all right. So I think we're probably overdue for Super Chats, but... Um, yeah, it's 8 10. All right. Yeah, we're not too... That's not too... We've been worse. No. Uh, <laughs> far worse, yeah. Uh, that, that's an hour. We yeah, started at 7 10. Yeah, exactly. See? Good. Good timing. We're ending exactly when you needed to. Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who have questions for uh, Father Peter, for me, if for some reason you have a question for Aiden, I don't know. There's some film you related. One from it. I mean, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> if you're curious about how the Conjuring movies did film wise, I'm sure he would have opinions. Uh, Probably. Uh, I feel free to go through and ask. So while people are gearing up their super chat questions and things like that, I did take a picture of one earlier that okay. was sent in. Uh, that was what I was doing. Gotcha. Um, and I think it's an interesting one because I think both of your opinions on this might be an interesting take. Cool. Um, let me know if I'm pronouncing this name incorrectly or not. But uh, opinion on Ashura being thought by some to be God's wife. Ashura. Ashura. Uh, Ashura. I did see a video about this recently, and I'm definitely curious to hear I hate this so much. Yeah, because I knew you were going to get inflammatory to some extent. I'm definitely curious. <laughs> you to see you it can start. One. No, you start. Oh, boy. Uh, so, all right. So, as many of you know, I went to school for medieval studies, and I got my minors in everything. Uh, How many did you have in total? I had one major and four minors. Um, I actually I found them. I found the diplomas. Did you really? I lost you them for a while. You got diplomas for your I got minors? five diplomas. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> You're going to need a very interesting yeah. frame. Yeah, those. exactly. Like, it's going to take up an entire wall. Yeah, um, just put them on paper. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in courses where we did some very, very deep dives into very specific verses of the Bible. And, you know, my favorite course on all of this was my class on Revelation. And we, you know, talked about... You know, you could be reading Revelation 5-7 and then there will be a footnote to Daniel and the Daniel one has a footnote to Ezekiel and the Ezekiel one has a footnote to just like all over the place and you go through and you read every single one and then you write a six-page paper on five verses. Um, really quite a bit of... I, quite, quite, I just, I'm saying this because I want people to understand how much I've read the Bible. <laughs> and not once did I find a reference that was in the least bit discreet um, or or explicit to God having a wife. Mm. Uh, you basically, in my opinion, you have to take the Bible and then you have to take things that are not, not only not canonical, but not even deuterocanonical. Mm. Um, you have to basically go and look at what did the Canaanites believe? Mm. Um, what did the Egyptians believe? What did the people around the Jews believe. Um, and that's where it tends to come from. Uh, Asherah specifically, I believe, was a Canaanite deity um, who the the argument that's made by a very small minority of scholars, by the way, everyone seems to think that like because one PhD thinks something, uh, that makes it a consensus opinion. Mm. It doesn't. Um, but the idea is that essentially the, the religion we now know as Judaism sprouted out of Canaanite religion, which wouldn't really make a ton of sense considering that the Jews did not originate in Canaan. They originated in uh, Samaria and then moved to Canaan and immediately displaced the Canaanites. <laughs> like, it would not make sense for them to adopt the Canaanite gods as they were exterminating the Canaanites. 
Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it would make more sense to look at this and have them be uh, gods from Samaria. But they're not. The, mm-hmm. the gods that get brought into these discussions and used as examples of, you know, oh, well, actually uh, Yahweh was a minor god and it was the, the chief god was El. And that's why we had Elohim and everything. And I'm like, why would they adopt the Canaanite gods instead of the gods we read about in Gilgamesh? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so of course, I, obviously, this is something that gets me fired up. But that's that's how I look at it. I'm just gonna say it's it's just it's just not in the consciousness, uh, you know, of the church and what the church felt valuable to uh, you know to to preserve. And and the thing is, you have to look and you say, well, you you talk about Gilgamesh, the epic of Gilgamesh. There's mm-hmm. the flood narrative. Yep. There's an ancient, you know. So you can look at it different ways. You can say that um, you know uh, that. They're different things, but actually, it's in the consciousness that if this is truth, each all these ancient cultures are are seeking truth, and and it's revealed to them in in their uh, you know in their in their own way. So just because it's it's found in in these pre-Christian or non-Christian entities doesn't mean that it isn't a sort of a revelation mm-hmm. of the you know the truth. But as far as actually, there's there's no uh, there there's never any, uh, and especially. You have to think about it at that time. Why would they even have a reference to a female in that era? Because they were, you know, considered to be, unless it was the goddess of fertility or something. Yeah, which is almost always what it is. When there's a female goddess, it's almost always a god of, like, creation or war, and then a goddess of fertility. Right. It's like, and they're almost always, um, you know, complementary. Like, so you'll have, you know, one, for example, uh, Odin is the god of wisdom and of creation and then you've got uh you don't really have quite a direct line here i should have used zeus uh, <laughs> but i i find odin's on my mind quite a bit these days uh, interesting uh, it's because i'm playing assassin's creed Valhalla. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> he's in there a lot but you know you'll have like a uh i'm trying to think of a, another good example but i guess i guess the good one to go with is uh zeus and hera you know zeus is the the god of thunder and lightning and he's the storm god and then hera is the goddess of uh, fertility and of um, you know some some other things that I can't remember off the top of my head. I really don't remember much about Hera now that I'm thinking about well, it. Then, and you also you focus so much on like Athena and Artemis and everything yeah. that you don't really think about Hera. Yeah. Other than her, she's much more prominent in like the Iliad than she is in anything else. It's very interesting. interesting. But yeah, Which it's comes just the Iliad or the Odyssey. The Iliad. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so it's it, it's just so strange that like because it, it doesn't even you don't not only do you not get a real reference to any female god in the, the Bible itself. And if you go back and you read, like, the Torah, mm-hmm. and you you read uh, the um, all the books of the Hebrew Bible, you don't get um, references to other gods. You get, like, some things that could be interpreted, uh, if you're being very liberal about your interpretations, as uh, implying that there might be other gods. For example, the use of the word Elohim, which is a, a plural, but it's kind of in context used almost as a singular or in reference perhaps to a trinity. Um, but ra- in what you get in the in these uh, these versions that like extrapolate all these things to create gods and goddesses like Asherah and uh, uh, Kamash, who I got in that sort of beef with, uh, not Twitter, TikTok beef with, uh, what was his name? I think McCallan? Mc- his TikTok is McClellan. Um, I don't know, but he's a Mormon. It, it was... The, the second I looked at the PhD on his wall and it said Brigham Young, I immediately dismissed every single one of his opinions. 
Um, I was like, okay, so you went and you, you found another Mormon to tell you that your Mormon opinions were right? Like, no, go if, if you're a Mormon, go get your degree from, like, Penn. <laughs> get it from a source where it's not going to be super heavily biased. Because, like, if I went to Southern Methodist mm-hmm. and got a PhD in theology and all of my opinions were in line with the Methodist church, I don't think anybody would look at me and say, you know, that you were a serious scholar. Yeah. yeah, They wouldn't look at me and say that I'm a serious scholar or or objective. objective. Like, and I wouldn't blame them if you get, you know, put it simply as like, you know, in terms of like modern politics, if you were like, you know, went to Republican university of America and got a degree in, you know, political ideologies and you just so happen to say all the time that republicanism was the correct one nobody would take you seriously <laughs> no but Aiden, wouldn't you just say you know just to kind of wrap this one up that that it's all context yes i mean because much. you can take things you can take things out of context and you can look at it but you have to look at it in the broader like you were saying well, what what is the other mythology what are yeah. the other gods what are the because there is sort of a strand that goes that goes around that shows you know a little bit of sense yeah. of, of truth that there's coming from the different societies but um we can look at anything off mm-hmm. to the side and without putting it in the context and, and again i go back to it and I'm, I'm unapologetic for it that that uh you know for me when i'm when i'm trying to to discern whether something is true like the you know the person who's chatting is well what about this is you know first of all you know does it make sense what has been universally believed and what do people that are smarter than I am and holier than I am think, mm-hmm. you know, and then from there, I can either accept it or, or, or reject it. Yeah. There has to be some, some context besides exactly. just, it's got to be in context. Yeah. And I think one of the more interesting things that I found contextual, and I'm trying to do more research on this before I speak authoritatively on it, but uh, some of the similarities between the Zoroastrian uh, apocalypse story, you know, the, the their version of essentially the flood story, and the uh, Judeo-Christian version, there's a lot of interesting similarities between the two. For example, uh, gathering animals two by two and putting them into uh, you know safekeeping and gathering a certain number of people, making sure you have both male and female, and gathering them together, and then surviving this cataclysm. Mm. Uh, you know, it's very interesting. These are two of the oldest monotheistic religions in the world that have very similar stories. That, if you came to me and you said, what about this? I, I would look at that and be like, yes, that's a well-thought-out opinion. That's something we can have a discussion about. Mm. But when people just throw out random names of local goddesses and don't even consider the fact that Abraham was from Ur, not from yes. Canaan, like, it's just, it's one of those things where people are just, they're trying to make... They're trying to make a point that is to disprove something rather than to enlighten or to, uh, you know, compare. It's it's all about, you know, causing trouble. It's not to do with actually looking for the truth, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I, I know I saw another super chat in there. Yeah, we have another super chat and then one question that's kind of gotten a good amount of chitter chatter going on Ooh. in the chat, <laughs> uh, which we're going to do before is a super chat. Um, sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to this. Don't worry. Uh, interesting question. I'm curious. Where I live now. Yeah. I'm... <laughs> Uh, I'm curious about both of your opinions on this, specifically yours, especially because it's a little bit more up your alley. Uh, somebody was asking, is Cain still walking the earth? Cain? As yes. in Cain and Abel? Yes. I'll defer to you on that one. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Yes. <laughs> my opinion on it. Because <laughs> there's, there, there's been a couple back and forths. Some people are seem to be very convinced that he is. I mean, and other people very much 
agreeing with that statement. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but is is his death explicitly noted? I, I believe so. Yeah. All right, yeah, I, I thought it was. I'm not positive. But I mean, I the idea was that the mark of Cain, so that the, the, the nations would yeah. would would know that he, you know, to preserve him because he's got the mark. That, yeah, you know. I mean, if you want to look at it, if you want to extrapolate that and think about what about like you know the the line of Cain, that's something to, that actually gets addressed. Mm. Um, and one of the, uh, for example, in my uh, I have a Riley KJV Study Bible um, that I have found to be an incredible resource. Uh, I recommend everybody who's interested in, in studying the Bible get a copy of that. Don't use it as your only Bible, but you know it's mm. it's a good reference. Um, in Genesis six, he uh, goes into the you know the term Nephilim and the giants and all yeah. of that, and you know you get like the the discussion of um, you know the the term that's used exactly is uh, the godly line of uh, Seth. Yeah, it's the godly line of Seth and the ungodly line of Cain. So the idea that Cain probably had offspring, but he himself did not survive into eternity for some reason yeah um so you have you have essentially the idea is that and and one of the suggestions put forth is like uh you know the the nephilim were a mix of um the angels and the ungodly line of cain or that the nephilim had something to do with it they were just that they're actually you know the the line of cain itself and not necessarily an interbreeding at all between angels and men but it's it's something that gets brought up but there's certainly the idea that cain's Offspring might still be walking the earth could could work, but uh, not that Cain himself that he was immortal because that would yeah. make him you know I mean how many yeah. how I can't think of a single immortal person in the Bible like earthly immortal like right, in exactly. their corporeal form right. everyone dies except Enoch exactly but then he's, <laughs> he but just he's gets, not on the earth but he, yeah he, he just gets sucked up into heaven yeah. like uh, it's I think Enoch walked with God Eli, yeah the new life yeah. yeah yeah I think that question may or may not have come from the Supernatural line of yeah. canon. Supernatural, great TV show, great story, not great at, um, I'm not even going to say not great, they basically took what they liked and then they constructed a story around it. They don't pretend to be, you know, canonically Christian. But they have their narrative, it's yeah. what, they're, what they're doing. Yeah, it's yeah. A, and it's very entertaining television. Yes. Most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> Anytime Mary is on screen, I want to claw my eyes out. <laughs> um, I don't think anybody liked that character. I liked her in season three. When she showed up in the gins yes. thing with Dean. Yes. And then they reintroduced her, and uh, I think that the demon was right to kill Mary early on in the show. Um, Underrated character I wish we saw more of was Azazel. Azazel was a good a good character. Yeah. I think he's... I think the name Azazel is in Enoch. I think he's one of the watchers in Enoch. If I remember correctly. Which make him an angel and not a demon, but... Nonetheless. Yeah, nonetheless. Next, Carry uh, on. Next super chat is from Islam for $5. Thank, Thank you very you much. Is. Hope you're having a good night. Uh, and she says, Father, what, if you don't mind answering, sure. Father, at what point in your life did you realize you were called to the service? And if any, what was the impetus for that? Wow, interesting. Well, you know, it's always knew I wanted to do something that would help people. I just had that, that sense of being in that sort of position. But I actually thought it was to be a lawyer. And so I went and did my undergraduate, uh, you know, in that direction. And uh, so I had a good guidance counselor in high school and uh, said, well, what kind of law do you think you would be going in? Would you be going into, you know, civil or I thought maybe corporate? And I said, well, you know, why don't you take a 
uh, background in finance, you know, or something like that. And I said, okay, you know, because they said going to law school, if you have political science, you know, what happens if you change your mind? There's not much you can, <laughs> you can do with that. So I, I mean, I took a lot of things I said to elective, all my friends in college. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> electives but um, but when I was in college it's, college is a time when you when your mind is open your heart's open the new experiences and it was the first time in my life that I had a choice not to go to church I had a choice to get involved in many other things in, in the college uh, sphere but uh, you know rather than going further away from the church I came closer to the church because uh, you know I did my own exploration and you know rather than you know when you grow up in a Christian family, you know, you just kind of drink the Kool-Aid, I suppose, is the <laughs> word, where it's just, you could say, you know, um, but, but you have to, you know, you know, in the evangelical situation, you know, they talk about someone when they're saved, you know, uh, I think everyone has to take, you know, in the Orthodox tradition, we're baptized as infants, you know, if we're in, in a family, but there, there comes a point in all of your lives when you have to, like, make the faith your own, and for me, that was college, and, you know, things happen and, uh, you know, some people came in my life, some friends that were also in the same pattern and uh, went to seminary. And my, one of my really closest friends, he went a year before me and then uh, I followed him and, and, you know, and I went to seminary not knowing I would be a priest, but mm -hmm. just thinking, you know, let me check it out and see if this is for me, fine. If not, then, then I'll go back because I have, um, you know, degree in finance, a minor in real estate. Mm -hmm. um, and then I worked, uh, summers from um you know from college uh, appraising residential real estate which i carried into my priesthood in the early years when you know uh, shocker you know it's a big shocker to everyone you don't make a lot of money being a priest so, <laughs> so i, I worked so that, and, and orthodox priests uh, are permitted to marry so i was married and and uh, you know two children so um you know my wife stayed home and, and i had the second job to Kind of uh, hold things uh, together. So, but it was an it was an unfolding, and uh, you know, and I can't imagine doing anything else, uh, you know, with my life life than uh, than what I'm doing. And you know, when you're everyone has something that they're they're meant to be. There's something that they're there to do. Everyone has a calling. It doesn't necessarily have to be one to serve, uh, you know, God in a formal capacity. But you know, it's it's all finding what you're what you're meant to do. And and what's interesting is. My background in, in business and finance and administration and uh, you know is, is very complementary to uh, you know to um, you know parish ministry you know in the 21st century so nice okay well there's yes. not there's not really any super chats right now but i have one question that I, and it's also about you want to show them the animal oh sure i think he's asleep that's fine no, the eyes are open <laughs> Archie, if i lift you up you the screen again he might he might come on boy Come on. <laughs> Everyone always wants to see Archie. Of course. And how could you not want to see Archie? There we go. Yes. <laughs> you can hold him if you'd like. There we go. Uh, is he going to be in the frame? Yes. Right. Ah, I was going to say, he looks like Simba right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's about 8.30, so I think this question should probably be yeah. about what sure. wraps it up. Uh, my question to you is, is there anything that ha you haven't been asked this evening that you may want to talk about, or you know, you, you might want to share with everybody hmm. haven't been asked um that's a good that's a good question well i mean just a just a comment you know that i'm finding is uh very interesting um i've been a priest 28 years and uh 25 of them were spent in connecticut where i grew up in the last three years down here in 
in uh, Pennsylvania. And what I've noticed over the last few years is, and just the fact that, uh, that I'm here talking with you tonight, which is just amazing, is that, you know, we ran into, Aiden and I ran into each other in the coffee shop. Yeah. Literally, he was the barista, and we got to talking, and of course, I came in looking like this, and he said, wow, you look like a priest. Wow, how did you guess? But the, the killer was, he said, you look like an Orthodox priest. I said, wow, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty incredible. But what I found is uh, there is an incredible um, growing desire amongst people in the, you know, in your generation, you know, the millennials, the Z's, X, Z primes, or whatever, in, <laughs> in uh, you know, in spiritual, in spirituality, and and there's lots of different, you know, there's lots of different paths to, to spirituality, a lot of different ways that people look, and uh, you know, I know that people have misconceptions or you know conceptions about a, a church that is doctrinal, you know, which the Orthodox Church is goes way back to the beginning. We you know, the way we pray is much the same as it was in the, you know, the 10th century, 8th century, um, you know, so say, well, you know, why would I want to be part of uh, something fossilized? But, you know, it's something that has a foundation, you know, and in our faith, it's, uh, it's flexible enough to, to meet people where they are. There's a, there's a great arsenal of, you know, of spiritual remedies, uh, you know, that, that are out there to, uh, to help. And the church is not there to judge, is, uh, you know, to help. And, if there's anything I would impart is that the Orthodox Church sees itself as a spiritual hospital, you know, and sometimes we're patients, sometimes we're the doctors and, and the nurses, but it's not all about judgment and condemnation. I know people in, in uh, you know, especially, you know, younger generations don't want to feel judged or don't want to feel, um, you know, um, you know, minimized. You know, and everyone has, uh, you know, everyone has a voice, uh, you know, in the church. And we need a foundation. And I like to think of, you know, life being wonderful because God gives us a lot of freedom. And yet, sometimes that freedom can be a source of angst for us because we're all over the place. Um, but I like to think that God gives us a bungee cord to jump at life, gives us a lot of flexibility, mm -hmm. but we don't jump off the, the thing with a bungee cord in our hand. We have to tie it onto something that's got some stability to it. And, you know, and that's what the, what the church, uh, you know, has to, uh, you know, has to offer. So, you know, if you get a chance, Google orthodoxy, see what you, you think about it. if you have any questions in your local or whatever, you know, feel free to, uh, drop me a line or, um, Chat me up someplace. Wonderful. We did just get a couple more questions. Oh, if you're willing to, 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 to stick around, yeah. sure. uh, And then I think we'll, we'll probably, because we're right at 8.30, so All we'll right, probably we'll come out of that. Yeah. Hey, yeah, sounds good. Uh, Ren Pilek, I believe that is, for $5. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Uh, it says, uh, Father Peter, thoughts on performing a blessing versus an exorcism to a house to get rid of evil spirits that could be influencing its residents? Oh, that's that's what we do all the time. Uh, so in the cases of when I went in, again, it's I think it's a little overrated where you see someone coming in and they have the cross and they go like this and, and the uh, evil spirits. For us, we we um, you know we we have a tradition of there's an actual prayer for the you know uh, warding off of uh, you know of evil spirits, a house that's troubled by evil spirits. So we go in and we perform the blessing and bless with. Uh, you know, with holy water, and um, and what we're doing is we're we're reclaiming the sanctity that was there because we're affirming that the world is good, mm -hmm. you know, and that darkness and sin kind of like like tainted, 
so uh, you know, in the ritual, we're, we're just praying, you know, asking God to bring it back to where it was before. It's sort of like when you have a virus on your computer. Sometimes you can take and uh, bring it back, restore it to an earlier time. You know, and that's what we're you know we're trying to uh, you know to do. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Nope that that helps. But we do that as a matter of course. We do that when someone uh, buys a new, does a new house, gets a new house. Mm-hmm. You know, we could do that for you. Uh, we we <laughs> actually, sure, we, we actually I hope there's no demons in here. Jeez, we have, it's well, only a five-year-old building. You know, the thing is, it's not always about about demons. It's ceiling. Right. So what I do is is I anoint the four corners, the four corners of the uh, the house mm-hmm. with oil, uh, and we pray and we uh, we read the gospel reading of Zacchaeus that you know right. that Jesus came into Zacchaeus's house. And so we're we're setting you up for success, for brightness, and as as opposed to, you know, getting rid of of, of evil. And sometimes you, you never know. You, you just there are there is evil in the world that influences us, and there's a heaviness, and you know whatever we can do to bring you know light, you know we do. And that's that's basically I said before the you know the um, the witchcraft people or you know the. Satanists have their, you know, spell book. Mm. We have our book of needs that, that help people. And there's there's prayers for, for everything. And it's certainly better to be sick than sorry with yeah. the home as well, I would imagine. Yeah. And then, so the last question we have to uh, answer here is from uh, Diane Yale. That's my grandmother. Hi, ah. <laughs> uh, <Hey>, Grandma. Hi. <laughs> uh, she asks, Father Peter, what was the role of official and ritual magic and of the magicians in pre-Christian beliefs? Uh, cults in parentheses, and then how that belief in magic modified during the life and ministry of Christ, and then after. Wow, that's you know that's, that's a hefty so, one. So 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 magic, you got to kind of define that a little bit more. Are we talking about you know sorcery? You know sometimes they're they're you know again magic sorcery. Um, the evil spirits see things they're outside of time as well they see things that are that are going on and sometimes people you know um, can invoke evil spirits to to see things that are there and uh, uh, you know it's not necessarily a good uh, you know communication but what Christ came to to fulfill people I mean I think if you talk to uh, you know not that I generally care to do so but <laughs> if you talk to Wiccans and people that are that are you know and Wiccans are, are a little bit different than you know Satanists you don't call Satanists we yeah. you know we believe in natural you know the power of the mother earth and, and the elements and and all of that that um, you know the, the people are ancient cultures people were very very attuned to the fact that their life depended on the sunlight it depended on the rain and if the rain wasn't here and the sun wasn't here they were in trouble and so they developed these things and they developed these rituals that they felt were you know would help to reverse things you know so if they thought that uh, you know someone decided to take and fill a sock up with water and spin it over their head five times and if they did that it just so happened these things didn't happen and that's where some of these these spells came but uh, you know, but Christ came to free us from bondage to laws and the laws of nature, you know, and to, to overrule it. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm answering that, but, <laughs> but he, you know, he, you know, he, he came to, uh, to bring light and to, to bring it beyond that, uh, you know, realm of, of, you know, of worshiping the, the elements to, to he who created uh, the heavens and the earth. 
And of course, there's there's the very deliberate process of Christianization by the uh, by the Catholic Church from the early Middle Ages on into um, you know, the, the late Middle Ages, even as they extended up into uh, northern Sweden and Norway, of taking local rituals, local uh, deities, local um, gods and demigods, and rewriting them to an extent to make uh, some of these figures into saints. One of the most uh, obvious figures is uh, St. Bridget of, um, the, of the British Isles, uh, who was originally the goddess Bridget, uh, the patron goddess of uh, women in fire, um, which two very interesting things to put together. Um, but there's, there's an ancient story of uh, a, a community of women who were devotees of Bridget, who were set upon by raiders and the outskirts, the perimeter of their, uh, their not sure exactly what term to use for it, but their, uh, what would be the equivalent of a convent, I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, is surrounded then by fire and it keeps the raiders out. And the Christians went in and uh, basically took that and turned Bridget into Bridget, into Bridget and you know, the goddess of fire into the patron saint of women and a, a saint who uses fire. Um, and a lot of people look at this and they make it into something where the Christians were trying to erase paganism, and that's not at all what it was. It was that we find historically, sociologically, that when some when a culture embraces a religion, um, the the first generation to uh, be adopted into that religion generally maintains quietly their old beliefs uh, while professing the new beliefs. Then the second generation um, believes the new stuff, but kind of keeps the the ritual of the old stuff and then the third generation is usually one that fully accepts the new faith um so but just to be fair yeah uh there's like in the old testament there's shadows of mm -hmm. what is to come in the new testament the same way in these in these pre-christian cultures they were shadows that that bridge you know was a shadow of what was what was to come and mm -hmm. you know maybe at that moment of the you know the deliverance there was a revelation of the true god that mm -hmm. that went from there again um it's do we make saints mm -hmm. you know and, and that's the difference between orthodoxy and catholicism in catholicism there's more of a deliberate process of making saints yes we are more of of recognizing yes saints and it actually comes from the lay people it comes from a popular devotion amongst the people rather than something that's imposed yes. on people from above and it, it generally takes a longer period of time and uh, uh you know but it's it's you know there's there's two ways yeah. of, of looking at it and, and and you know i'm hey i'm not catholic but uh, <laughs> you know i sympathize with you know organized religion sometimes people get bashed for things that, that people did and and you have to understand not everything that that is done in the name of God in the church is is godly or, or in the church. I hope not. <laughs> sometimes people think sometimes people think they're they're you know they're they're doing what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But in the end, you know, what is of God always uh, you know always uh, you know is sustains itself over the long mm -hmm. long haul. Some of these things right. uh, you know fall away. But that's that's true in, in you know in all societies, as you said, that we uh, we embrace something and and. Uh, you know, from a from the ancient culture, and uh, you know, it projects itself going going forward. So we never remember. Christ came and said, "I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it." Mm -hmm. and the same thing with some of these uh, pious customs amongst uh, you know the people. All right, wonderful. Yeah. I
Great. I don't know if this was as fun for everyone else as it was for me, but I had a great time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> from, from what the chat has been saying, uh, I think it was Zeus that was saying this has been his favorite podcast oh. so far. A couple other people were saying oh, it's that great it. connection. It's yeah, the yeah, no doubt. Um, we uh, we found out. We, we've we've held. Oh, thank you, thank you, everybody. It's uh, your birthday today. Uh, t- uh, two days from Wednesday. Wow. Yeah, I'll be twenty-four. Wow, <laughs> I'm old, old man. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm in my mid twenties now. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, um, don't be too scared. So it's uh, we we thought that, um, and we might still be right about it. But uh, my family has for a long time uh, held the belief that we are part Greek. Uh, mm-hmm. I found out when I was doing Ancestry.com that uh, the Greek side of my family, which is the Vlachos mm-hmm. uh, side, yeah. uh, Vlachos is a Greek word for uh, Wallachian, which is the. Uh, the part of Romania today. Mm, yes. Um, so oh, so they call it yes, we're actually there is a possibility that we are not actually Greek, but rather uh, Romanian. Well, so um, actually, which means I can that, use the word gypsy. Uh, <laughs> so your surname is actually Vlachos? Not uh, no, it's a few generations back, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I was expecting it to be something Greek, and it was something that didn't really strike me as typical Greek. Um, and uh, yeah, so I went digging a little bit, and I was like, oh, interesting. Funny how that works. I was expected that Mattis was going to be the Greek side. We cannot figure out what it is. Really? It might be German. But yeah, you know, it's... I envy people who have very obvious last names. Um, like mine? Yeah. <laughs> There's a castle named after your family. Correct. Um, yeah, but... All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I. Uh, I, I think, and hopefully no one, you know, was melted away. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully nobody burst into flames. You know? yeah. uh, if you did, uh, send me an email, and we will look into compensation. Yeah. Um, you can have the lint in my pocket and maybe some spaghetti. But I pumped this many people on a Monday yeah. night. Yeah, we're doing are. something more than sitting back and watching some. Uh, yeah, we've got a we've got a good television. a good crew of uh, viewers and followers. Yeah, right? we had an average of about thirty throughout yeah. the. Throughout yeah, the I like you guys. You guys are pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but all right. all right, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. See you next time. Thanks for stopping by the Lore Lodge. <laughs>